You're listening to Cross the Line 1524, the common man's podcast. But I came here for just one drink. Recorded live at an undisclosed location known as the Rusted Nail Speakeasy, it's Cross the Line 1524 with Jeff Montag, Reuben Hunt, Dwayne Bischoff, and myself, Alan Stanger. And don't forget, Table 12, set back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, we've got another great episode here of Cross the Line 1524 for you. Uh, this one was on the road, but before we get started, uh, as most of you know, our podcast brother in arms, Ruben, uh, was in a hospital, was in very bad shape. Uh, I just want to let everybody know uh, all your thoughts and prayers. They help because uh, he's back. Uh, he's back home and got back to work later this week. And I'm not going to expand into what happened. Uh, he'll do that the next time we're sitting down having a cocktail at the Rustin Nail Speakeasy. But thank you for all your thoughts and prayers. Ruben would like to thank all of you from the bottom of his heart. So we spent a weekend down in bourbon country, down in Bardstown. This podcast actually happened in Lebanon, Kentucky, which is east of Bardstown. There's a distillery there you may have heard of. It's called Limestone Branch Distillery. The master distiller there and the man who started the distillery is one of the few remaining beams in the distilling industry. Sit back, relax, maybe pour you a a glass of Yellowstone or minor case beam and listen to our interview with the one and only Stephen Beam. Well, we're here at Limestone Branch Distillery with Cross the Line 1524. I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Scott Sperling, Mike Gardner. And we get a special guest here. So we've had Mr. Stephen Fonte on our show many times. In fact, he came to our hometown to do a tasting in Brookville, Indiana of Yellowstone Bourbon. But we have a, a different Stephen on our podcast today. We have with us, the, I believe I'm saying this correctly, the last Beam who is a distiller. Well, the surname Beam, but uh, actually uh, Ben Beam, my cousin's uh, son, uh, graduated and uh, is now working at Mickner's gotcha. as, a, as a distiller. Awesome. So cool. we're, we're here with Stephen Beam. Uh, the oldest. The oldest <laughs> Beam. There we go. There you go. You can pull a title somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> then we have a couple special guests here. You've heard uh, when we were with Mr. Fonte uh, at his house, he had Louis Tulix there all the time. Yep. So he's around here, and then Case is here as well. So that's the two puppies. We got Char over there, too. We got yeah, yeah. Char is usually not too far. Case, you stay. <laughs> so it's a beautiful day. We're here in, outside Lebanon, Kentucky. Beautiful. Uh, we're outside under the gazebo they have, and... Um, couldn't ask for a better day to sit out and talk about distilling. Uh, we talked a lot in the past about Yellowstone bourbon, uh, but what I would like to talk about a little bit today is, first of all, uh, you're a graduate of Purdue University. So my wife is also a graduate. My son attended <laughs> Purdue. And uh, I want to talk about your botanicals and your gin, because um, that's kind of your, your special project, I know. Yeah, so... Um I went uh, to Purdue, graduated from Purdue, probably before your wife was uh, out of elementary school. (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, it was it enjoyed my time there. Although it's kind of like a prison at that time, you know, a lot of red brick and right. <laughs> pretty. But you no, know, it, it was a great experience. And so my degree was in landscape architecture uh, at Purdue, and uh, so I'd always been interested in uh, horticulture, plants, and things. And when we uh, opened the distillery, one of the things that I wanted to have was a you know nice gardens and a nice uh, feel for the uh, the story in other than just you know the distilling itself right uh, I knew that I was going to spend a lot of time here and I certainly did you know the first uh, you know few years there was a lounge chair upstairs and uh, that was my bed many a night so right. uh, so I wanted a place that I would be happy to come to and so you know worked on the gardens and uh, um, then you know just as a uh, the guy who gets uh, bored pretty easily, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start to still, we have all these botanicals, and so you start distilling some of the botanicals, and then it just kind of led to the gin. So we have, like, honeysuckle that just grows uh, wild. wild around, right. uh, blackberry, mulberry, uh, black cherry, things that aren't normally found in a gin, but uh, that we dehydrated and then uh, found their way into the gin that's awesome okay. awesome so talk about the beginnings of the distiller how you got started wow so actually it's something that i had always wanted to do and i i looked into it when i graduated uh from purdue and uh at that time the laws were not structured for a small distillery uh everything was geared toward the large distilleries you had to at that talk about how old I am but that that time you still had to have a gauger on site so you had to have a government gauger who would monitor all you know the proof gallons that were being made and, yeah. and left the distillery they would actually have a key the owner would have a key and they'd have to lock up and come in together wow you know oh boy yeah so it was very very strict uh control like that that was when it was with uh, the ATF Okay. And then they switched over to be with the TTV, and then they were they did away with that, and were just all about the monitoring for the tax, <laughs> for the money. Yeah. Want to get the money. <laughs> <laughs> so so, but it was structured against that, and and then it, if you remember back then there wasn't anything called an internet, right? So all the advertising that would have been done would have had to have been print advertising, very expensive, you know, to get started, and. Uh, it so it was just uh, a lot of barriers to entry right and i certainly wasn't you know a wealthy kid at that time so uh although i could have bought a distillery pretty cheap then because there were a lot of them sitting empty and nobody knew what to do with them right yeah because bourbon was kind of bourbon almost, was dead at that yeah. point <laughs> right it really was but even then buying even if you bought a distillery you still needed that capital to to do all the advertising marketing to get it back out there and, and like you said at the time it wasn't what it is today so it would have been hard no matter what absolutely and and, and the distilleries are so capital intensive and uh, you know i think people you know kind of forget about that because you know you you have to put the you have to pay for all the product to go into a barrel then you and then you sit it away for right. at least four years you know right, or, yeah, if right, not longer right. uh and uh it just sits 
right. and you pay taxes, you pay on, taxes it as it sits. on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's crazy. A lot of people don't realize they get taxed every year on that barrel while it's sitting. Yeah, you know, you know, not making anything right. off of that barrel that, while that's happening. But and, and meanwhile, you know, the angels are taking their share. Right. right. So right. it's just you know. If you look at it as an investment, you're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. But <laughs> but it all works out in the end, right. so hopefully. <laughs> it's just a long-term investment. It's not a quick it's a not a quick turnaround kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's why after Prohibition, really a lot of the small distilleries just couldn't right. make that comeback. You know, because you had the uh, Prohibition followed by the Depression, which kind of wiped people clean of capital as well. Right. And then, you know, to get back into the game where they had started small and grown grown their right, business, right. to start back, it, it just too much. So it became a, you know, a big business Yeah, Yeah, it was that, that lack of cash flow that killed the little guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like when we were in high school. Yeah. You know, well, when we were when we were twenty one, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount of brands available isn't nothing compared to today, and then the selections, you know. So there was just a few big guys yeah, really kind of controlling in, the market. Really back then, so we grew up not far from Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Right. At the time, Seagram's and Shanley right. were both in Lawrenceburg, so everybody knew Seagram's, and then. Jim Beam, of course. There, there weren't all these. Cra there were no craft distillers right, back then. Right, there weren't. So you only had major brains, and they were all at that point in time. You know, they were suffering. They were people were drinking vodkas and whatever the Zimas and whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, bourbon had lost its flair for unknown reasons. So and while we talk about that, so what? How do you see that evolution from then to now? With weight, I mean, bourbon is just everything. You know, well, what crazy. happened was bourbon. Also, when they when it started going to vodka and things, the the stories kind of shot themselves in the foot because they took this bourbon and they're like everybody's wanting light, you know. So they were trying to lighten it up, you know, with blends and and lower proof and and you know and then also marketing things as cheaply as possible. weren't as concerned about the quality, you know. That, yeah. And that's a broad statement. There there were individual, but uh, and. And really hurt even more, you know, just kind of fueled the fire of it being a not such a great spirit. And thank God for the Japanese and Australians who kept uh, buying it, kept from. buying it, right. you know, during the 80s and 90s. And then, uh, you know, people like Elmer T. Lee and Booker No, uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure they were talking, uh, and it's just like, how can we compete? You know, on a global scale, like with, with, you know, we have scotch, you know, has the single malts and things, you know, what can we do? And they started paying attention and, the, you know, the single barrels started to come out and small batch single barrels and, and really started to compete on quality. Right. And yeah. then that started to spark some interest. And then you had the shows like Mad Men where the cocktail culture came in. Right. And, and I, you know, you have to hand it to the uh, craft breweries too you know be, people uh started to see beer in a different way and look at it not just you know what these big guys are making but right. that each could have individual flavors and uh and so that really led to the uh the small craft distilleries yeah yeah so it's it's and you said something earlier back then there was not the internet and social media advertising now for a craft distillery I mean, 90% of that starts out internet-based. Right, social media. Social right. media, Facebook, 
Instagram, wherever you're at. If you don't think so, drive down to Bourbon Country, and your your phone's automatically going to realize where you're at. Get oh, on yeah. Facebook and see what ads pop up. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Kind of scary, but it is. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. So, so much scary. Last night we were talking about Zima. Yeah. It popped up on my phone and something about Zima. I'm like, <laughs> I might have had a hold of your phone, yeah. too, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me several times, and it, it's just like I am. But I, I have just thought of things, not even said anything, and it shows up on my phone. Yeah, yeah I've done that too. And you start to wonder how, yeah. you know. They say it's algorithms and stuff. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. You know? Too much like Star Trek. There, yeah. yeah, a little mind warp. Uh, so when you uh, opened the distillery, uh, you were first known for actually we we're talking about white liquors and things you were known for the moon pie moonshine right well when we first started we always our focus our long-term focus is always bourbon you right. know, because that's what our heritage right. was and that's really what we wanted to get back our side of it takes the a couple years to get that we take takes there and and like i said we weren't uh independently wealthy and so we needed uh, some gotta cash pay, flow. Got to pay the bills. Got to pay the bills. So we started out, uh, we made corn whiskey. First first spirit we made was corn whiskey, uh, which took a gold medal, which we were really proud about that. Uh, and uh, so, but Moonshine was actually having a moment at that particular time. So it really kind of blessed us that way. We, you know, the, the whole adventure has been kind of a serendipitous moment for us you know just really things you couldn't have planned for but uh so moonshine was kind of having a moment and we had uh uh, were able to get it i was on uh moonshiners with tim smith yeah when tim smith was searching for a place to mass produce his moonshine right his first legal i showed him how to do the paperwork and do do everything legal and we produced his moonshine here at the for the first year yeah so and then we were growing different directions and things and, and we didn't have time to devote to what he wanted and right yeah you know, so we had an amical uh split right and then uh and like i said we always put a little bit of bourbon back but we then right about the time we split with tim we did the license deal with moon pie and that's when stephen fonte came on worst worst thing you could ever do <laughs> so and uh and he sold the heck out of the moon pie moonshine yeah. and uh we really did did well with that brand like i said in that moment when you know people were in, very interested in moonshine and it, w- it was a great product i'm very you know people talk about flavored products i'm very proud of that you know it was it right. was delicious it really was uh and but then, then you know, looking and thinking and trying to always evolve, and I was thinking, we knew at that time. I talked to my brother, and with because we were in seven states at that time, mm-hmm. and just the cost to do business in seven states. And I was all I did was paperwork at that point. I I spent very little time doing stuff that I enjoyed doing, and I was doing. <laughs> right doing government paperwork and uh, I, my brother and I thought it was like we either need to kind of come back small or get bigger because this middle 
is not a right. good place. Right. <laughs> so uh, I started talking to Luxco, you know, and they had, from the very beginning, one of the goals was to get, you know, a, an old brand back and revive that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and Yellowstone really was one of the closest brands to us. And Luxco had it. Yeah. They really weren't doing anything with it at that moment. And so we worked out a deal and they bought part of the distillery and in that transaction uh, Yellowstone brand came to Limestone Branch right and uh, that's when we formulated what is now Yellowstone Select and yep. did our first limited edition yeah that's uh, we, we're all Yellowstone we're all fans, fans. all our listeners know that we're fans <laughs> yeah. of Yellowstone yeah. so well, thank you and uh, we're also fans of Minor Case yes. uh, yeah yeah so that, there's a tradition there so Minor Case was your great great grandfather great grandfather great grandfather yeah so and he was actually really good friends with Mike Dant, or Bernard Dant, Mike Dant's father, uh, who had Yellowstone. Their distilleries were literally 100 yards apart. Really? And they, they were really close friends, uh, spent a lot of time together. And, uh, yeah, and they had both had sons, and that's how our family ended up. Right, You know, Connected. with the two sisters that married yep. into the, both families. But... Uh, Yes, yeah, so uh, uh, he he was had the distillery. Mike Dan had the distillery right there in Gethsemane, Kentucky. So speaking of that, we're looking at the bridge we came over across. Yeah. And if I'm correct, that metal that came off that bridge might have come from... Uh, came from his distillery. That's what I... Yeah, so many a generation of my family were underneath that metal at one point or another. So it's, it's so really it's, great to yeah. touch history like that. Yeah, so yes. some of us stayed at Dant Crossing in the homestead, yeah. which was originally a, a beam house. It was actually a, the Birch home. Birch home. Yeah, my grandmother, uh, Birch, my great-grandfather, Birch, built that home. And uh, my grandmother grew up there, and then, uh, I, then she and my grandfather had it for a while i had several aunts and uncles who were born there of course that's just right down the street from the distillery right right, right. so my grandmother and her sister were growing up in that house and you had bernard dant and minor case there at the distilleries had two young sons who were probably more interested in the the girls on the street <laughs> than the distilling that was going on right. down, down here and uh and they ended up uh getting married uh on the same day february 21st 1906. Really? Wow. And, yeah, and 52 years later, I was born, February 21st, 1958. Is that right? <laughs> wow, wow, that's pretty right. cool. That's great. Amazing how that works. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny when we were staying in the house, the there was another group of family that was there staying that had grew up there but it was during they li they came and lived there when they were shutting down. When they were shutting it down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Their father was running this the distillery to the shutdown. Yeah, he was the okay. shutdown so manager they, or whatever. So they, yeah. But so it, it was, was interesting to get yeah. their stories. Yeah, and and, it, and then it kind of fell into disrepair. Yeah, and uh, then the some nuns bought it and restored it. So they did it, and it was yeah. did a beautiful restoration job at that point. And uh, it was used as the retreat house for women because they had the monastery there. Yeah. And uh, at that time, they didn't allow women to come sure. there. So when the men would come to do a retreat at the monastery, the women would go and stay at uh, the home. What's now the homestead? Homestead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 amazing. And it's amazing what uh, 
Wally and Charles have done with oh, that, they're that, building that a home. city over there. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> and, and just the, and just that house as a bed and breakfast, it was just beautifully done. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for them, and it's I'm so excited for that area of Nelson County because that's that's the motherland for yeah. me and Wally, you right, know. Right. But I mean, that's where uh, my family all originated. I got a it's interesting little story about that. The the dance were right there. Um, at Pottinger Station. So, uh... Batesville Liquor Co. in Batesville, Indiana and Tappy Liquors in Brookville, Indiana have whatever you need to cool down during the hot summer days and summer nights. Just in is the old 55 barrel picks which include the sweet corn mash bill. Jake Ireland's off-hours barrel pick is also in. Get both of these while you still can. Are you looking for ready-to-drink cocktails? They've got them. They also have your mixers and accessories to go with whatever cocktail you want to make. Hard Truth out of Nashville, Indiana just stopped in and dropped off the two barrels that Batesville Liquor Co. selected. We tasted it, and it's some great stuff. Guess what? Our friends at Logsdale Distillery have finally made it to Indiana. Try the Monks Road Bourbon and Gin it is now available. Did somebody say beer? Stock up on both domestic and imported beers. Now, if you're into a fine cigar, they have a walk-in humidor as well at Batesville Liquor Co. Check it out. Located at 315 Shopping Village in Batesville, Indiana, or Tebby Liquor on Main Street in Brookville. Let them know that the Cross the Line 1524 crew sent you. Gilman's Home Centers, with 14 locations and growing. You know what? It's the party time of the year. That's right. You might need some party rentals, and they've got them. They've got bouncy houses, tents, even slushy machines for those adult party-friendly drinks. You know what? Things are heating up, which means you need to start thinking about watering options for your lawn and garden. They've got it. You know what? It may be too hot for you. They've got plenty of air conditioning units and fans just for you. Gilman Home Centers, with 14 locations in Indiana and Ohio. Well, if you're looking to learn more about the bourbon country, in probably the most unorthodox way you've ever heard it, you need to listen to Two Shots on a Barrel podcast. You can join the Bow Brothers, a couple of longtime goofy radio DJs from Kentucky, and learn more about what makes the heart of bourbon country so famous. You can listen to the Bow Brothers as they look to interview experts in the bourbon industry and other things that are truly unique to Central Kentucky, like wineries, craft breweries, caves, kayaking, you name it. It's Two Shots on a Barrel podcast with the Bow Brothers. You can find it on all of the major podcast platforms. Two shots on a barrel. You can learn more about Kentucky only the way the Bow Brothers can bring it on Two Shots on a Barrel podcast. Did you know that beef jerky is packed with protein and is considered a healthy snack? Check out Stanger Sugar Shack Gourmet Beef Jerky. 100% pure beef with no fillers or additive. MSG-free and most flavors are gluten-free. If you're eating jerky that has a reddish tint to it, 
give us a try and see what gourmet jerky tastes like. Our cuts of meat are from the brisket, not ground up, not processed, pure 100% beef. Our flavors include maple pepper, our original lakeside brisket. We have ghost pepper flavor. We have blazing beef sriracha flavor. Gotta try our speakeasy bourbon, our campfire barbecue, and our totally teriyaki flavor. Our favorite though is our old fashioned maple bacon jerky. That's right, we have maple bacon jerky. You can find all of our jerky at all the Gilman Home Center stores throughout Indiana and Ohio, at the Easy Stop Fuel Mart, State Route 46 in St. Leon, Indiana, and of course online at StangerSugarShack.com. Use discount code 1524 to receive a special 10% discount on any online order. Stanger Sugar Shack Gourmet Jerky, what jerky should be. Looking for a Hyson side-by-side or ATV? How about a youth model Tau-Tau quad or dirt bike? Stop by Hoosier Power Sports at 7892 Schumann Road in St. Leon, Indiana, or visit our website at HoosierPowerSports.com for the latest inventory. We are the Tri-State's largest Hyson and Tau-Tau sales and service center with a large selection in stock all the time. Don't shop the other guys who just want you to leave a deposit and maybe you'll get a side-by-side sometime this year. We've got plenty in stock all the time. Hoosier Power Sports at 7892 Schumann Road in St. Leon, Indiana, or visit our website at HoosierPowerSports.com. Are you tired of hearing the same old songs over and over on the radio? Every single hour, the same tune? What's well, time for something different? Check out Hometown Radio USA, the best independent music, hits from yesterday, hits from today, podcasts, and so much more. Hometown Radio USA, you can find it on the web at www.hometownradiousa.com or at the App Store or on Google Play. Hometown Radio USA, reimagining radio and coming to you in your hometown. Captain Sam Pottinger uh, had come down and surveyed that property with, uh, like, Gosh, I don't think it was Daniel Boone, but it was some of the early people. Herod, okay. John the Herod oh, okay. uh, of Herodsburg, came in and they came over, saw the property. This was before the Revolutionary War. So then the Revolutionary War breaks out. He goes fight. He's a captain in, in the army. Uh, and then after the war comes back, and then they, there was a pact with uh, 25 families or right around that number of families in Maryland to move to uh, Pottinger Station here in Kentucky. And they needed that many so that they could have a priest. Okay. You know, okay. So they were yep. Catholic. And Catholic they, right. So they, they moved here and in, in, in a couple waves. And the, the Dance were in there. The Birches were in there. I think the Willets were in there. Haydens were in there. Uh, yeah, so a lot of, lot of distilling people in that group. <laughs> Um, and then the beams came a little bit later and, uh, Conrad beam and, uh, they had been in the war as well. And they had some land grant that they were coming and, uh, they get to Kentucky and, uh, lo and behold, the dancer on their prop, what they say is their property. So, uh, they sued each other, you know, the suit yeah. lawsuit and, you know, ensued and, uh, they ended up uh, losing, the Beams did, and they ended up down in Manton, 
with a hundred yeah. acres down in Manton, Kentucky. And then, you know, a couple of generations, everybody's getting married together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that land back I mean, one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, look at you're making distilled flavors, distilled alcohol, and you're getting married together. It can't go wrong. <laughs> can't go wrong. So that the, so that little area there really uh, is very special to me. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and right. my grandmother right. was there. I would come out and spend. Uh, uh, a week in the summertime, and we'd walk up and down the tracks there by uh, where Log still is now. Yeah, and so fish it, along the creek. It's a small world, so we went to dinner in Bardstown Thursday night. Thursday. Yeah, and we would go to go in, and I look, and there's a Log still truck there. I said, "Oh, somebody from Log still's here." And then Charles walks around a corner, so we talked to him for a little bit, and Wally was there as well, uh, and Lynn. They were actually they did a a gin that's been a gin. A beer that's been aged in a gin, a log still gin barrel. Okay. So that, they were doing the release there for it. So um, it's it's a small world down here. It is, it is, and I always tell people because uh, they'll come in and start talking to us. And well, you know, if your family's been in uh, Marion or Nelson County for more than three generations. And if you're Catholic, <laughs> I know we're related. <laughs> if you're not Catholic, we're probably still related. Just on the down low. <laughs> but yeah, you were talking about what Wally's done or building the city. I mean, that's an economic infusion for that part of the county that, that really needs it you know, jobs. It was very, very depressed area of Nelson right. County. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Marion, that's kind of where uh, Marion and Nelson meet up right yeah. in that area as well. So. Uh, it, it's a great infusion for that, and uh, and they're doing a great job. And there's yeah. plenty of bourbon drinkers for everybody to have their share. Of, Absolutely, yeah. of yeah. tour. I mean, because we've been there, we've been here. I mean, yeah. just and they're all they're all fun, and you know, they all have their time. Yep. We yeah. just want people to keep drinking bourbon. Right. There you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's no better. Amen. So one of the things that really helps promote your bourbon, I believe, is your barrel pick program. Right. Um, I mean, you get guys, not guys, you get people from all over the country doing barrel picks here it's it's amazing um so what got you started doing the barrel pick process well you know we have if you know yellowstone you know we have a very focused line right right we have yellowstone select and our limited edition right yep you know and so uh we want to do some brand expansion but at the same time we want to do it smartly the right way and so single barrels uh this was a few years ago and uh, i thought was really what was going to come out because you know bourbon everybody's chasing these bourbons that you know they can't get and right. the the single barrels offer you know a, you get a unicorn out of every barrel you get a unicorn out of every barrel people have come and chose it so it you know nine times out of ten even 9.9 .9 times out of ten you know you, you're getting a great uh bourbon right, at right. a reasonable price right, and right. and you can go back you know two months later to the liquor store and they'll have a different pick and it'll be a different right. different bourbon so. that's really how we got we had been down here prior then Mike and his wife owned several liquor stores. So he goes, hey, we're going to do a barrel pick at Limestone Branch. So that's how we really dove into the whole All right. line. So you got to meet Stephen and that's when we first met And yeah. then yeah. we went downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, as, as Steve and I go way back. I went to school with, uh, I was in high school with his older brother. 
And so I'm, we're 10 years apart, so Stephen was like six and seven. So you used and to beat him up. And I said he was a pain in the neck. <laughs> Even then, then. never stopped. <laughs> So I know when we came to do the barrel pick, we've I'm kind of new connoisseur to the bourbon and still learning. But um, all kidding aside, when Stephen does a pick, it is he you learn so much right. during that during that tasting and during that pick that it's really incredible. And and he just has a different way of showing you and uh, makes you understand it. I think better than some of the other places right. where we've done. Right. Tasting it's at. just not picking up a Glencairn glass and yeah right and just there's a lot it. to it and and he also you know he's got some uh, gift the gab I mean <laughs> <laughs> that and he has some uh, ideals that most places don't oh yeah don't even think right. about the doing. shotgun yeah you know if yeah. you're you're down between two different barrels or two different or the same barrel and two different two proofs. different proofs uh, and that that's what was really amazing is. Uh, the same barrel, different proofs, and a lot of times it was the higher proof that had the, the higher flavor profile, and it, it, it makes sense because you're not watering it down, so you get the, the flavors and the nosings that are, are a lot more intense, and I, I can't remember the proof we picked, but it wasn't the low proof. No. no. So. 105? 102, 109, or 115. It's 109. The middle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's... Uh, 115 is definitely the leader, you know, that yeah. comes out. But it's split pretty evenly, you know, between the 109 and 102s. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it, it's amazing to me, and it shows that every barrel has a specific proof that it shines at. Right. Yeah. So not only, you know, everything that goes into that barrel to make that barrel what it is up to that point, then you need to get the proof right for that barrel, too. And right, uh, right. and I, I, to my knowledge, we're the only one who who do those that proof offering. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. that's um, yeah. That was, was, I've never run that was interesting before. and educational. And, and all kidding aside, Stephen Fonte, if if you know, if I were in a business where I needed a brand ambassador, I'll tell you what, he's <laughs> he's the mark. I think he's, yeah, he, he sets he sets it out there. Just uh, his sense of humor and you know. Uh, and his knowledge about the product is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, and, and you know, you were talking about his, you know, techniques and different things. But you know, he was in the coffee business right. for yeah. so long. And a lot of a lot of people don't realize how you know coffee. You know, when you do coffee tastings as a as an actual tasting experience, a lot Very of similarities similar, right. to, to bourbon. Yep. Probably it might even be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. You know, which probably what, what might make him better doing this is because this is, might be a little easier and from what he you know a lot more enjoyable but. Well, yeah. <laughs> at so the end of learned, the day so we learned so we spent a, a saturday afternoon at steven's house in louisville <laughs> we, on, yeah. the port, on, on the port yeah, yeah okay back. so it was cold but he had uh, fires fire going, going right so and, uh, yeah he uh he told he, us about hydration yeah. about uh, two hours too late <laughs> It was about yeah, about two hours after he introduced us to minor case. Minor so, case. So to that point, I really wasn't a rye whiskey guy, but uh, I'll tell you what, that minor case rye whiskey is is really good stuff. Well, thank it, you. And, and me either, and, and me and Jeff kept emptying the bottle more and more, discussing it to make sure <laughs> we were sampling it correctly. And then Stephen introduced us to hydration. Yeah. yeah, well, he wasn't hydrating either, so we had quite the, for dinner that night, it was quite the uh, fun trip. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. So you're coming out with your 2022 select. Correct. So uh, limited edition. Limited edition. Yes. So tell us about that a little bit. So the uh, this year it is finished in Marcella wine casks. And uh, it really is, you know, quite delicious. I, I'm really happy with it. It's... Uh, if you've tasted last year's in the Amarone cast, mm -hmm. similar characteristics. This one has a little sweeter finish, uh, but you get those uh, you know dried raisin notes and th th those fruity notes that you uh, wouldn't get necessarily in a bourbon. But I I try with all my finishes to do it with a light hand. I just want to. We start with a seven-year bourbon start with a, a decent bourbon you know good right. bourbon and uh and just kind of kind of you know round out and add a, a few little notes here and there yeah. uh to just make it a, a great sipping bourbon and th this is is delicious I, I'm, I think people are going to be very excited about it okay so what i wish i had some what's the age of the blends of bourbons you have in the 2022 i'm sorry what, what's the age of the uh this is seven and i believe there's some 12 in there as well nice so, but the majority is seven. Seven. And then it stayed in the Marcella wine cast. I think it was in there about three and a half months. Just yeah. enough time to pull so the yeah, so flavor we, out. We taste yeah. it, you know, constantly tasting. And, you know, that's kind of like when you're even picking barrels, you know, you, you're like, okay, do I call this right. good or do I let it go another month right. and run the risk of it being too much but it's yeah. like i think it could be a little bit better so you know we went we went another month and then i was like okay yeah. <laughs> this, this is this is really good and we're gonna stop here <laughs> pretty awesome pretty awesome so what's the future hold for limestone branch any other new ideas new uh well like i said we we, we keep our uh focus on on uh, you know a very a narrow portfolio right, so right, we right. may have something coming down the road uh you know of course now with our partner with uh mgp yep. you know right. as our parent right. now right uh gives us a lot more opportunity right. as well because uh, right. everybody knows uh mgp makes some great products absolutely so uh and now we have access to things as well yeah. so it's kind of it's like i said it's just the business for me has just kind of evolved and, and things changed as you go and you kind of if 10 years ago when we were starting out i would have thought where we were now Never. not the not, same vision not yeah. the same yeah. vision but it but it's, it's all good that's right that's awesome <laughs> well, maybe it was maybe that delay right out of college was was a meant to be thing and it needed to wait to mature to get to that point where everything was just going to work yeah well you know life happens right you know right. and and it did and then and uh then i came back for it was jim beam's 200th anniversary uh and booker was there it was a big event over at jim beam and uh i was there and i was i had bookers for the very first time and Kind of like you learned about hydration a little bit too late on that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> and you know, Booker's when you know that was high proof stuff right. for that, at that especially right. at that time because you know there was not a hundred proof was it. Was yeah. High, yeah. And um, uh, 
But I was talking with a gentleman, and I had his card for the longest time. And uh, now, when I went to find it, I couldn't find it. But uh, he was for, with the uh, Liquor Control Board in New Hampshire. And we were just talking, you know, and uh, he was like, I was like, well, you know, I have my, some of my grandfather's notes. And, you know, I said, it's a, a bucket of this and, you know, two buckets of that. And, you know, it's all done like that. And he said, well, you, he said, you really ought to think about doing a small distillery uh with that you know and say we make right. it with a bucket of this and a bucket of that and so that kind of got me thinking again yeah so were you i'm trying to think were you able to find a, the original yeast strain for we did we because yeah. uh my uncle had well his minor case beam and then uh guy beams uh yeast jug right donut jug and uh when my uncle uh passed away he was donated to the oscar getz museum and that was toddy beam of toddy's liquor store there in bardstown he mm -hmm. was the founder he had that and uh and his that donut jug sat on his bar at home and um uh, then when he died he donated it to oscar getz and it sat in their case that would have been from the 80s until you know 2010 and uh we uh, and about that time too you know go back to plants again but you know they had found a date seed in a pyramid in egypt or something and they had planted this date seed and it you know grow for the first time in right. some two thousand years or something and i was like you know if they could get a date seed out of a pyramid we ought to be able to get a <laughs> yeast strain out of a donut jug right. so, and i was talking to pat heist at uh, wilderness, right. at that time it was you know wilderness trail and uh, 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 firm solutions. Right. And so they, he's like, let me try it. And they were able, you know, science. If you ever talk to Pat, you know science way yeah. above my. <laughs> yeah. So next month we're coming back down and we're gonna sit down with Pat. All right. Yeah. But they he can tell you about the East job. Yeah. yeah. That, that's his story of how they ended up distilling is just. Phenomenal. We talked right. to him several years ago, not with the podcast, but just one on one on a tour, and it was it's amazing how they got started. Yeah. So, you guys got anything else for Stephen? I know he's he's a busy man, and it's I don't want to keep him well, too long. You got long. your botanicals, and you got this is a beautiful place here, Stephen. You put together so for you know for people, for our listeners, if you ever get a chance, come down here and oh, we, do this we, tour. It's, absolutely. Know, it's it's. Uh, it's not what you typically think of a distillery. It's not the big brick building and the stacks and all that of the old distilleries at all. But it's a, a more of a park-like setting with your, with your touch, with your your uh, greenery and and that. And uh, and then I want to talk about your dogs. You, you <laughs> you've got these chows that are just beautiful, and uh, I can tell uh, there's a shared love there between you and them. Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, rescuing chows since the 1980s so this is number six and seven is that right oh wow and uh and so uh i just love the breed and you can see they're well behaved and right yeah they get a bad rap but uh you know if they're raised right like right. any any dog it's, i think you know they they're good dogs he actually came from columbus indiana is that right <laughs> he was in the shelter up there and he was uh, 
Bosley, my other, I had a cream and he had passed away and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna have one for a little while. And so a couple months later, I'm, I'm in, in these groups and they started showing up, showing him and they said, oh, he's such a friendly dog. And you know, and I know black dogs are, are less likely to be rescued than any other color. And then chow, a black chow, right? not great opera. So right. I was like, I'll go up. And, and it's funny, Fonte just happened to be driving back from Chicago, and he was like 30 miles from Columbus. So I was like, go by and take a look at this dog and see what you think. And next day, went up and got him. So Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. he's been here ever since. Awesome. So I know you were actually in Indiana yesterday down in uh, French Lick. Yep. Went up, uh, stayed in uh, West Baden. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a historical place for me, too. My dad said my... Uh, grandparents the the uh, birches and guy who mm -hmm. we talked about earlier uh used to go up to uh the hotel all the time yeah and uh he said they were up there a couple times a month on you know because oh. the train you know went right, right there right, right, right on up right, right. and uh so uh I, it just i was when they restored it i was always happy to go and yeah uh yeah. brings back a lot of memories and then of course alan Bishop up there, yeah. uh, you know, he's one of the premier distillers in the country, whether, I think. Whether you want to distill in the distillery or you want to distill in the woods, <laughs> he's your man. Well, you know, people ask me how I learned to distill. Is I know a, a, a guy named Sherman Owen, who is a lot like Alan, who grew up in a family that had distilled mm -hmm. kind of on the outside of the <laughs> parameters and the line a little bit you gotta learn somehow and uh and he was instrumental in helping me get started because he knew how to distill on a scale that we do right uh we had all these you know process engineers when we were opening up they would come in and uh, just you know because out of curiosity mm -hmm. and things you know from the big distilleries but at that time, they were still having a hard time getting their head around the, the Small. smaller scale because everything was big, you know. And but he he knew he had been, he had been distilling, you know, a little bit smaller scale, but at that same kind right. of scale. So it it just translated. And you cannot take what's going on in a huge distillery right. and bring it down. You're right one-to-one -one. you know right. it, it does not work that right. way right. yeah you know and what i have noticed uh a lot of the small distilleries you're not distilling against each other you're all friends you all talk i mean right i, I mean i know steven's been up to hard truth in nashville indiana right and it, great people I mean, alan bishop he'll tell you the best bourbon salesman in the world is Stephen Fonte. <laughs> uh, it's and and like you we were talking about log still distillery all you guys do you all kind of hobnob together and you're not against each other. You're against all those other vodkas. Yeah, and I think you guys get there. it. And uh, a lot of other industries, I think, could take note because I think you guys are working together to broaden the broaden the bourbon uh, industry and the knowledge right. of bourbon. And you know, again, I think there's there's still plenty of uh, untapped potential out there. A lot of people <laughs> still, you know, they 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 don't know bourbon or. They don't. They they think they are not going to like bourbon, but there's such so many selections. If they if they like their liquors, then more than likely it's a, it's something that they can get into, right? And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, we 
we would love people to drink Yellowstone. Sure. And uh, of course, Yellowstone, Kentucky bourbon, then bourbon in general, you know. So, right. uh, so I got to tell you, your Yellowstone commercials. So there's two TV shows that people in this group watch. One of them is the show Yellowstone. So, of course, it's on there. The other show that uh, a lot of us watch is The Curse of Oak Island yeah. on the History Channel. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there, and a Yellowstone commercial comes up. I'm like, there they, we go. they must have tapped my brain to know I'm watching this show. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> those al algorithms. Algorithms. <laughs> Listen to your phone. Yeah. Got them. Good deal. So has anybody got anything else for Stephen? I mean, thank you for taking time yeah, out. You. Oh, yeah, no, thank you all this for coming down. Appreciate you taking the time absolutely. out of your day to come down and visit. Absolutely. So. It's a pleasure to do so. So right. for Cross the Line 1524, I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Scott Sperl, Mike Gardner, and our very special guest, Steve Beam. And we'll see you all next time. How often do you get to sit down for an hour and talk to a beam? Well, guess what? That was just the beginning of our day at Limestone Branch Distillery. We got packed up from doing the podcast. Stephen invited us over to Miner's Lounge in the distillery. We got some cocktails, sat outside on a porch, talked, and I wish we would have kept the mic on him. He had stories about the family history, stories about things that happened during Prohibition, and stories about things that, uh, quite honestly, we can't talk about. It was a blast. So we topped it off a little bit more. Our brothers in podcasting, Two Shots in the Barrel. They're from Lebanon, Kentucky as well. The Bow Brothers, you heard their advertisement on here a little earlier doing their ad spots. Uh, we cross-promote with them as well. They started their podcast about the same time we did. They concentrate on stuff right there in Lebanon, a lot of bourbon uh, and the Cornbread Mafia and other things. Give those folks a listen. Uh, two great guys there. Uh, they came over, we had some more cocktails, smoked some cigars, told stories. What a freaking day, that's all I got to say. But we weren't done, because while all this was going on, our friend Stephen Fonte was doing barrel picks with folks. And guess what happened after he got done with his barrel picks? He joined the party. So what, what a great day it was at Limestone Branch Distillery. We'd like to thank first... Stephen Beam, Stephen Fonte, the entire distillery, uh, the folks from Two Shots on Barrel, and uh, everybody that went down with us. You heard our special guest. We had Mike Gardner that went with us, as well as a good friend, Scotty Bourbon. Uh, what a weekend is all I can say. Uh, you're going to get to hear another podcast that we did that weekend uh, at the Bardstown Bourbon Company. So that'll be an upcoming podcast in the upcoming weeks. What a great time. So from everybody... At the Cross the Line 1524 podcast and Table 12, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Cross the Line 1524 with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and Alan Stanger. Remember, you like us? Leave us a five-star rating and positive comment on whatever podcast app you're using. Hey, check out our webpage at www.crossthline1524.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Check out Podcast 1524 on Twitter and Cross the Line 15 slash 24 on Facebook. Give me one before you kick me out the door.